Welcome to the Trinity Galewood podcast. Here you'll find live messages recorded during our weekly services at Trinity. We are a community that desires to look, live, and love more like Jesus. We're located at 1701 North Narragansett in Chicago and meet every Sunday morning at 1030 a.m. We hope you enjoy this episode of the Trinity Galewood podcast. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, again that you are a God who is making all things new, who uh, is reconciling us and also calling us to reconcile our relationships. I pray that as we finish up this series and as we look at, once again, the story of two brothers, that it would spur us on to see you in new ways, in more full ways. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Have you ever thought about how limited your control is in this world? Have you ever thought about this before? That uh, the amount of the things that you can control in this world is very limited. Uh, For example, uh, let's just say that life looks like this, right? There is me in the middle, and then there's a circle of the things that I can control, And ultimately, uh, there are some things that I can control. For example, I can control the clothes that I wear, clothes that I wore to church this morning. I was in control of that. I think I did a pretty good job today, all right? (laughs) But I was in control of that, all right? You're in control of that. I can control the the food that I eat, right? Uh, And there are consequences that come with those things. I can control what I watch on TV, the books that I read, the things that occupy my time. I can control some things that are in my life. But if you think about it on a much larger scale, there are a lot more things in life that I cannot control. For example, I cannot control the traffic on North Avenue. And if you've ever tried to drive on North Avenue between 4 and 7 p.m., you know the frustration that I'm experiencing right now, right? I cannot control the traffic. I cannot control the person next to me that is looking on their cell phone, scrolling through Instagram as they are contributing to the traffic on North Avenue, and if they just paid attention, maybe we would get the light. (laughs) I can't control that, right? I can't even control the weather that is contributing to the traffic on North Avenue and all the more reason that you should be paying attention and not scrolling through Instagram while you're driving. But I can't control that because if I could, we would have 70 degrees and sunny outside. But I can't. And what is so interesting about who we are as human beings is that sometimes I believe in the lie that I can control more than I actually can. Sometimes I think that that circle is bigger than what it actually is. And sometimes I even believe that inside of that lie, that if I can control something, then ultimately I can fix it. 
then if it's under my rule and my reign, then I can control it and fix it to be how I want it to be. But let me be very clear here, that if you think, or let me ask this, has anybody here ever tried to fix somebody else? Doesn't work, does it? In fact, I remember uh, when I first got married to Gretchen, learning moment, she would come home, I would come home, we would have dinner together, and she would tell me about her day and the things that were going on and stuff like that, and I would quickly offer as she would talk about things that were happening, and I would offer a little piece of advice or a solution. And then as time went on, I started to notice that she really didn't share with me all the details that were going on with her day or got kind of mad at the solutions that I was giving, right? And I remember going to a friend one time and saying, I don't know what's going on here, what's happening? And he said to me, Dave, you don't understand, your wife doesn't want you to fix her. And if you don't know that, that you can't fix somebody, then that's all you need to hear today from the message, all right? Because this is a truth that we need to understand is that we cannot fix other people. People are God's projects. They're not our own. And oftentimes when we try to fix somebody else, we create a worse problem than what existed beforehand. The reality is we're more qualified, we're we're no more qualified to fix the person next to us than we are to fix global warming. It's really challenging. And, and when we come to the realization of this truth, I think you have two responses. When we come to this reality that we can't control everything and that we can't fix other people, two responses, I think, come. The first one could be, could be this, that uh, I live with no regrets, thinking that um, if I can't fix anything, then I'm just gonna like, live with no regrets. I'm gonna do me and not care about anybody else. I'm not gonna care about the stuff that I'm doing or how it affects other people. I'm just gonna live for me. And if we were to run that road a little bit longer, I think you would come to realize that that can be very dangerous because it creates all kinds of scars for yourself and for other people. And there are some things in life that you can control. It matters how you live. Or I think we can come to the second place as we realize that we cannot control everything and we can't fix other people. It's simply that we would live a life of reconciliation. And a life of reconciliation recognizes this important truth. Controlling what I can and praying for what I cannot control. Controlling the things that I can and praying for the things that I cannot control. Between these two options, I think God is very clear as to where he wants you to be. He wants you to be on the second one here, that you're living a life of reconciliation. And these aren't just my thoughts. This comes from the Bible. This is in 2 Corinthians 5. It says this. Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That if you believe Jesus and who he is, therefore, you are a new creation. You're not yourself anymore. That the old has passed away, the new has come. You have a purpose in your life. 
It's not that you just live with no regrets, but you live for him. He continues, all this, verse 18, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God examples this life of reconciliation for us by his death and resurrection. And he also gifts us this ministry, this task of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. God wants you and I to own that message of reconciliation, which does not mean that you can control other people, but you do what you can and you pray for that which you cannot control. Because reconciliation always changes things in good and in difficult ways where we understand that we control what we can and pray for everything else. Today, we're gonna finish up this series called A Reconciler's Journey. And in this series, we've been looking at those words that Paul was focusing on, that you and I have a ministry of reconciliation to make things right amongst each other. And in this series, we've dove into a bunch of different aspects of this journey. First off, we talked about that we need to name and embrace. Remember, we challenged you to write down the name of somebody that you need to take this journey with. And oftentimes, unfortunately, in our world, we just have those names and we say, I don't want to deal with that. So the second part to that was that we embrace the journey. And then we discussed how part of that journey means that we embrace a life of repentance. Repentance being that we choose to go God's direction and way. That, that the the problem could be so complex that there might not be a clear victim and oppressor, but in the midst of that, we choose to go God's direction instead of our own direction. And then last week, we talked about that as we go on this journey, that we go with these two things in mind, a tough mind, which means that you're not gullible, you don't go without thinking, you think in the process of reconciliation, yet you also have a tender heart that you care for people. And today, to finish up, I'm gonna give you a little bit longer statement here if you would write it down, but I think it's important for us to get this, as I've already said a couple of times. Reconciliation changes things where you control what you can and pray for everything else. And as we've been doing in this series, uh, we're going to look at the story of Jacob and Esau, these two brothers, and we're going to see this final moment that they have in the book of Genesis and see how reconciliation plays out in their lives. And as we read the final moments of the story, and I tell you how it all ends between these twin brothers, I want you to think about this. Who are you in this story? Are you Jacob or are you Esau? And I want you to think how they themselves control what they can and pray for the things that they cannot control. So in this story, we read, 
that Jacob and Esau, they're twin brothers. You remember this? They're, they're born, and, uh, and Jacob is holding on to the heel of Esau, his older brother. And then as the story moves on, we read that uh, Jacob is more favored by his mom, Esau by his dad, and, and they go off in their own ways, different kids. But there's this moment of where this blessing is had from their father, Isaac. And, and Jacob, which his name kind of derives this meaning of deceiver, all of a sudden deceives his father to receive the blessing that was for Esau, his brother. Now, that might sound like a really simple thing, but actually it had huge implications. It would be like uh, you changing the will of, uh, of your family where you gave yourself more money than your brothers and sisters. If you're Esau in this situation, you're mad about what has happened. And Esau is so mad, remember we talked about this last week, that he says that when my father dies, I'm going to kill Jacob. Not a very nice thing to say, right? So Jacob flees uh, to this place called Haran. He, up here, way far north, he goes to his uncle's house. His uncle, his name is Laban. And in that place, he's there for 20 years, 20 years he's there. He has two wives. It's a different sermon for a different day, all right? Not telling you to have two wives today, all right? But he has two wives and he has 12 kids that come from this relationship. And then, all of a sudden, 20 years go by. And God calls him to go back home, to journey Back to the south. And isn't it kind of funny how this happens in our lives? The people that we have this problem and issue with, all of a sudden there comes a day where we'll be confronted by them again. And so Jacob journeys back home with his wives and all of his family and all of the things that God has gifted him with knowing that Esau is going to be coming to meet him. But Jacob is smart. So he starts to kind of stack the deck a little bit. We read this in Genesis 32.5. He says this, I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, male servants and female servants. I've sent them to my Lord Esau. Notice the language here that Jacob is using, right? He's instructing his servants to go and give these things, not to my brother, but to my Lord, in order that I might find favor in your sight. Jacob sends off all of these things ahead to Esau. It's a smart move by Jacob, right? This is why many flower companies are still in business, right? Things don't go well. I'm going to kind of soften the blow a little bit here with some flowers or a gift or something, right? And in this moment, we see that Jacob is going to be confronted with this truth that I can only control what I can control. And I have to pray for the things that I cannot control. The stuff gets to Esau. The servants and the messengers come back to Jacob. And this is what they say. They say, hey, Esau's on his way. He wants to come see you. And uh, he accepted the gifts, 
but he's coming now with 400 men. He's gathered up his group and he's coming to you. And so Jacob, as Jacob does, decides to come up with a plan. He says, I'm going to split my family into two groups. Smart here, right? I'm gonna split them into two groups and then I'm gonna send one group forward and depending on how Esau responds to that first group, we'll either follow them or we're running away. And so Jacob comes up with this whole plan again. I want you to see that he's controlling what he can but ultimately he's kind of falling into the place of where he's trying to control things that he cannot control. And so he comes to this reality of where he goes to God and he prays to God, or rather cries out to God. It says this in verse 10 of chapter 32. Jacob says, I'm not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you've shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I've crossed the Jordan and now I have become two camps. It's as if Jacob has this realization that in the midst of all the games that he's played, all the controlling that he has tried to do of other people, now all of a sudden he's saying to God that my family is now divided into two camps. This is what I've brought into my family. See, Jacob falls into this problem of thinking that gifts and stuff will fix the problem. He's more concerned about what he cannot fix which is Esau's feelings towards him. Because God can only fix people. We can only control ourselves. And so, something really interesting happens. In fact, um, what happens next is really beautiful. Jacob then sends his uh, his family ahead, and they go over this uh, little shallow body of water. He sends forward all of his animals, his servants, his wives, his children. Everybody goes forward across this little body of water, and the, the Bible tells us that he's alone. And he's waiting to cross over this little body of water, and all of a sudden, somebody comes and attacks him. We read that somebody comes and wrestles with him. And if you got time this afternoon, I would love for you to read this story in Genesis 32, verses 22 through 32. It's an incredible story of where God takes on flesh. He comes and he wrestles with Jacob. Keep in mind, this is the night before he's going to meet his brother that he's so scared and nervous and anxious to meet. And that as they are wrestling through the night, and as Jacob is holding on to this man, Jacob has this profound and beautiful statement that I think somebody needs to hear here today. He says this, Jacob says to the man, to God who he is wrestling, that I will not let you go until you bless me. That in regards to all of the things that are happening in my life, 
Jacob says, I'm gonna hold on to you, God, until you bless me. And in this moment, God does bless Jacob. Two ways. Number one, God presses on Jacob's hip. So much so that he will walk with a limp for the rest of his life. And the second way that he blesses him is he changes his name, giving him a new name. His name's not Jacob anymore. His name is Israel, which literally means the one who wrestles with God. And this is important for us to understand because I believe in this moment, Jacob's now changed. Not only physically has he changed because he's walking with a limp. And not only because he has a new name, but his attitude changes. Because the next morning, he wakes up and it's the day to meet his brother Esau. And we read that what happens next is this. Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants, and he put the servants with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. Just like Jacob has been doing the whole time, he lines them up appropriately, right? And, and in this moment, you would assume that Jacob is putting up this giant shield between him and Esau, right? Because this is what Jacob does. But he's a changed man. He's walking with a limp now. He has a new name. And the subtle little thing is found in Genesis here that I need you to see. It says this, for Jacob, he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. Do you see this? Something has changed in Jacob that now he is not having this boundary, but instead he comes to the front and he's gonna lead. Now, I find it rather interesting that um, we live in a society and in a world where Hollywood has captured uh, this perspective that revenge is a captivating story. You ever thought about this before? In fact, two of my favorite movies of all time are revenge story movies. Uh, the first one is Rocky IV. If you're with me, just nod your head, all right? Or grunt like a man, right? Just, ugh, all right? Rocky IV, you know this story, right? Yeah, there we go, one, all right. Uh, it's the story of Rocky Balboa. He's from the United States. He's fighting uh, Ivan Drago, the big Russian, and he is avenging the death of his good friend Apollo Creed, right? He goes to Russia. The United States wins, as it always does in the movies, right? And, and, he, and he beats Ivan Drago, and it's this incredible moment. And I remember it as a young kid just getting pumped up and then like punching my brother later on, right? <laughs> I think uh, another movie for me that I 
watched every night in college before I went to bed and probably explains many of the reasons I'm in counseling is uh, the movie Gladiator. <laughs> Another great revenge movie. Any, anybody seen this movie, right? All right. Um, and this scene in particular, this was the one I used to watch all the time. It was uh, where the gladiator, Russell Crowe, um, is, uh, is getting revenge against Caesar Augustus. And he has this beautiful line where he says, my name is Maximus Decimus Aurelius, a commander of the armies of the north. That's what it says on that small print there. A father to a murdered family, a husband to a murdered wife. It is this moment where all of a sudden the emperor is like, oh no, he's back. And he's alive. It's incredible. Now, Hollywood understands that this really sells tickets. But, but I think all of us would agree that revenge is great in the movies, but it's really terrible for real life. Right? Because real life doesn't have like an end to the movie. <laughs> when does revenge stop? Unfortunately, it just keeps going on and on and becomes bigger and bigger. And it's in this moment that we see that there's not going to be a Hollywood ending with Jacob and Esau. Because Esau understands that this might sell tickets, but there's a better way to go. And so we read that what happens next is that as Jacob approached Esau, Esau, as he sees him, runs to his brother. He embraces him, he falls on his neck, and he kisses him, and they wept. This is not a Hollywood ending by any means. But it's the brother who deserved or had the right to exact revenge upon his younger deceiving brother instead embraces him and brings him back in close. It's interesting, Esau then goes on and says, tell me about your family, all of the people that are here. This is incredible, the blessing that God has given you. And he even goes on to say that I don't need any of your gifts, I'm just glad that my brother is here. Then there's this beautiful statement that Jacob says. As a changed man, he says this. He says to his brother Esau, for I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Isn't it beautiful that in this moment, Jacob, the one who the night before was wrestling with God, says that in this moment, as we are being reconciled, I see God's face. I'm seeing God in this very moment. Now, here's the thing. All of this is very beautiful for us to see and understand, but this all points to exactly how God acts and has acted. See, God is one who is reconciling all things. 
And he ultimately did that by his death and resurrection on the cross. That when we see the cross, when we see the empty tomb, we see the face of God because it's in that moment of reconciliation, he's made things right between us. And he's here among us. That God attaches himself to forgiveness, to reconciliation. Because reconciliation changes things where I can control what I can control and pray for that which I cannot control. Now, I find it kind of interesting, though, is that sometimes we think that this moment between Jacob and Esau, it was like, oh, wow, this is so great and nice and neat. Now they must have been like best friends all over again and brothers and maybe they had bunk beds and, you know, went back home and like went to mom and dad and the whole family was back together. Well, actually, that's not what happens in the story at all. In fact, what we read, what happens next is that Esau, he travels back down to Mount Seir to the south where he came from and Jacob would journey on to this other town and village. I guess what I'm saying is that reconciliation doesn't mean that we go back to the way things were all the time. But it does change us. Right? It changes the way that we look at other people. And that for both of them, it wasn't that we wanted to go back to the good old days. It's now that we will not allow this relationship to suffer anymore. Because... Of reconciliation. Because they were both changed from this moment. So, again, who are you today in this story? Who do you identify with? Maybe there's someone that you're more like Jacob today. One that needs to just be changed by God first. One that needs to understand that, that repentance is a good thing. One that stops trying to buy grace and forgiveness. One that stops trying to put people, other people in danger instead of owning your own fault and coming to the reality of that I can control only what I can control. And trusting God that he's going to fix things. Or maybe you're like Esau today. Maybe you're one of, instead of, of allowing this anger and revenge to just stir up in you, you're saying, I have to let go in a different way. That I have to choose a different way, accepting the things that have happened, but saying that I care more about this relationship. Not forgetting what's happened, but saying that I'm not going to define you by a mistake in a moment. Saying that I care for this relationship to be intact. So who are you today? I pray that in moments when you feel like Jacob, that you would that you control yourself 
and own up to your mistakes. But I would also pray that in moments when you feel like Esau, that you too would control yourself and seek that others too may see the face of God. Because it may be through you that they get to experience the living God who came into this world and died for us. This uh, is the reconciler's journey. (laughs) It's not easy. It never is. But this is the journey that God has called us to. The reality is that you and I can't fix anybody. That is God's job. He's done that by his death and resurrection. And he invites you into the journey with him. Let's pray. God, I thank you that you once again are a God who works in beautiful ways. One that desires to bring reconciliation to make things right and new. And I pray, God, that in the midst of that challenge, in the midst of that calling that you've given us, that we would be so bold to act in ways that are honoring to you, trusting that that you're working things out, knowing that I can only control what I can control, but trusting you that you're working in this as well. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.